It's a blessing to be here this morning to stand before you. I hope that uh, you can say the same thing, that you're excited to be here to praise God together, to, to worship God with your brothers and sisters by you being here this morning. I assume that's the case, but it's, it's always a blessing to come together to, to worship God. Uh, as Jacob alluded to, uh, we are going to talk about that type of message. Um, I think all of us that are a part of the body of Christ would say that it is a blessing to be a part of God's family. It is a blessing to be able to call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And this morning, as we think about the body of Christ, as we think about the church this morning, I want to uh, ask you, have you ever been to a congregation? Maybe you visited a place that uh, whenever you walk into the doors, uh, you see all these older individuals. You see all these older people. And maybe you're an older person and say, yeah, I've seen that. Maybe you're a younger person. Maybe I've seen that. What's your immediate thought when that happens? I'm sure there's a lot of different things that come to mind when that happens. But I believe one of the main takeaways and one of the most important things that we can think of is they are how we got here. They are how we got here. We enjoy the blessings today because of what the older individuals have done and paved the way for us. And we turn on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you've gone to a place before and you see all these younger individuals. You see all these younger people. Maybe that's a place like Plainview. Uh, you know, they have a youth meeting uh, every summer, generally every summer. Maybe it's somewhere else. And, and you see all these younger individuals and maybe a lot of thoughts come to mind. But one of the main takeaways is, you know what? They are where we are going. They are the future of the church. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want us uh, to combine these two ideas. And I want to talk about what our role is in the multi-generational church. As we look throughout the congregation, as we look throughout the church as a whole, we understand that every generation is represented that we see today. And I want us to understand that every single generation matters. Every single generation it matters to God and it should matter to us. And I believe sometimes that we lose our focus, lose our uh, maybe our place, our role in what that is in the multi-generational church. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And um, I want to give a disclaimer. Um, as you know, I am not older by any means. I may be older than when I was, but I am not uh, an older individual. Um, so this morning I want to approach this from the best of my ability from God's word and let God's word teach us. Uh, also, I want to take what I've learned and what I've viewed from older individuals, what they've taught me and relay that message this morning. And so I ask that you view that in the same way this morning, that we'll see what God's word has to say about this subject. I want to start this morning and read what David had to say in Psalm 145 verses one through four, uh, the new King James that says, I will extol you, my king, or my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. David here was praising God. We see at the very beginning, he says, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name. He's praising God. But look what he says in verse number four. He says, one generation shall praise your works to another. You see, David was not just thinking about himself and God. He was thinking about everyone. 
And that how all generations should what? Should praise God. Should share with the other generations about what God has done for them in their lives. And how glorious and awesome our God is. And so when we talk about our role in the multi-generational church, that is what we're talking about. Is that we share God with each other. And that we praise God ultimately in the end. The three points I want to talk about this morning that are very important. Uh, number one is understanding the church's diversity. Uh, number two, generational roles and their impact. And this morning, we'll get more specific in uh, the third point, all generations working together. We'll start with the first point this morning, understanding the church's diversity. As we think about the church, the congregation, we have a lot of different trees around here. Um, we, just have, we just have a lot of trees. You, you go up to North Houston, uh, the Conroe area, there's even more trees. When you look at these types of trees that are good, these type of trees that are bad, the ones that are really good are beautiful to look at. Uh, we're talking about spring right now, David talked about. You know, whenever a tree is blossoming, when a tree is full of beauty with leaves, it's just a beautiful thing to look at. And I believe the body of Christ, the, the church is, is that very thing. When, uh, when others see the congregation, they see a tree that is blossoming, a tree that is beautiful. They look at the leaves, they look at the fruit from that tree, and they say, that is a thriving congregation. That is the thriving church. But we also can understand the other side. We've seen trees that maybe are not very good to look at. We see trees that have maybe gone through uh, the storms of life, that have gone through a lot of different things and not been able to withstand and withhold. And this morning, we're talking about being that tree that brings forth fruit. Being that congregation that brings forth fruit. So when others see that, they see that we're thriving because of what God has done for us. That all generations, all the leaves on that are beautiful. And Paul ultimately uses something very relatable that we're going to look at in here in just a moment. He talks about the body of Christ being that very thing, the body. And he talks about how, you know, you look at the, the head, you look at the feet, you look at uh, all these different body parts and they have different roles. And that's what we're talking about is the different roles in the body of Christ as it pertains to the generations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul writes to the church of Corinth. I want to give some context about uh, 1 Corinthians. The church in Corinth was not, let's just say, your average thriving congregation. This church in Corinth had a lot of problems. We see from the very beginning when Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, he was writing to them because he had heard that there were many divisions among them. And he continues on throughout the letter. And what does he talk about? He talks about fornication uh, in, the, in the body of Christ. Fornication in Corinth. He talks about how uh, they're making the communion uh, a meal. They're making it a meal. And they're not wanting to think about the right things, but make it more of a feast for the purpose of eating and drinking. And then he directly talks about something in chapter 12. And he's talking about spiritual gifts. Gifts that the, uh, the Holy Spirit has given. Uh, speaking in tongues. These types of things. And he picks up. In verse number four, and says, it says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now, when we think of the word diversity today, there's maybe some good that comes from that. And there may be some bad that comes from that in our minds with how people use that today. But I want to tell you, when God uses the word diversity, it's a good thing. 
It's a very good thing. In fact, Paul is telling the church in Corinth that look around you. There's very different activities. There's diversity. What diversity means, as we can see here, it's, it's just basically differences, a variety of different things. And they have a variety of different spiritual gifts that we don't have today. But you look at verse number five and verse number six, and we realize that there's a diversities of activities. There's diversities of ministries. And when we think about these types of things, those a lot of times are dictated by what? They're dictated by where we are in life, right? You think about the things, maybe if you're an older person, you think about the things that you could do when you were younger. You may not be able to do those things today. And on the other end of the spectrum, we think about the younger individuals. There's things that you're going to need to do to step up in the future for the purpose of continuing the church. And a lot of times that's dictated by based upon where we're at in life, our wisdom, our age, these types of things. But we understand that diversity is a good thing. And ultimately, the most important thing that we see about diversity in the church is what? Is that it's ultimately from God. You notice here it says diversities of gift, but it's what? It's the same spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. And so when we think about the body of Christ, ultimately, who is the source? It's Jesus Christ. It's God who gives these different things. It ultimately goes back to him. And so when we think about the body of Christ, we think about God uh, giving different gifts, giving different abilities, talents. Maybe it's somewhere in the body. There's one thing. Maybe there's another generation doing a different thing. Maybe there's this generation doing this. Maybe there's this generation doing that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it goes back to God because he's the one who gives those things and he's the one who's to be praised for those things. And so the church's diversity as it pertains to the generations, I want to tell you, is a very important thing. It's not something that we should scowl at. It's not something that um, should be avoided, but it's something that we should go towards because in fact, we see that diversity in the church is what? Is how the church thrives. It's how the church thrives. Our difference is bringing us together ultimately to serve God. That's the church's diversity. We think about the first century church. Uh, there were many young Christians. There were many young first century Christians. We think about the 12 apostles uh, most historians conclude that they were around, uh, this is a typo here, but basically late teens to late 20s uh, when they started with Jesus. Most of them were around that age. I would say that's probably a young age. Most of us would probably say that's a young age. We think about Timothy. Uh, when Paul was writing to Timothy, who was to be an evangelist, as we'll see here this morning in that letter, uh, Timothy most believed that he was around his mid-20s, maybe around 25, maybe around that age. I would say that's a pretty young Christian. Uh, we think about Titus. Paul referred to him as a child. Uh, when Paul wrote to the, uh, Titus, he referred to him as his child, uh, most likely being a younger individual. John Mark, uh, most likely a teenager as he worked with Paul and, and Barnabas. So we see these individuals. We understand that the church has young people. The church has young generations. But on the other side of the spectrum, just as equally as important, we see that there were older first century Christians, weren't there? You see, those 12 apostles, as life went along, they got older. Right? We think about uh, Paul. He prepared for death in his letter to Timothy. As he was writing to Timothy, one of the main reasons he was uh, teaching Timothy, he was training Timothy, was because what? Because he was about to pass. Because he was about to die. 
And so Paul, a man of wisdom, of faith, an older Christian, but ultimately, overall, we see the 12 apostles and we understand that the 12 apostles became martyrs later in their life. And they died terrible, terrible deaths. Deaths that we cannot even imagine today, similar to how Jesus uh, was, was dying. Similar to how Jesus died. But you notice something that they all have in common? Is that they all were young at one point, And they all grew older and died for the Lord. And so we see here this morning that the church's diversity as it pertains to the generations is important. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul writing to Timothy, this is what he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, as brother, uh, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Now this was Paul writing to Timothy. As we just mentioned, Timothy is a younger individual. But I believe this goes farther than just uh, father, brothers, mothers, and sisters. If we're talking to someone that is older, I believe you can uh, adopt someone, if you will, as a daughter, as a son. That when we look around the congregation, not just this morning, but every time we're together, we see our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see someone that is like my grandpa. We see someone that is like a grandson. We see someone that's like a mother, a father, the family of God. And that cannot happen if we don't see the generations for what they are. There's all generations represented. Just here this morning, generations are represented here. And that is a good thing. And so when we think about that, we need to encourage that and understand that. Now I want to be a little bit more specific here this morning. Uh, when we think about the generations, uh, there's different classifications of generations and um, I had done some research on this and, and looked into this. Um, it's not maybe 100% accurate, but it's pretty close. When we think about the different generations, we have the, uh, what is called the silent generation. Uh, that's about between the age of 77 and 94 years old. Um, we think about the next generation, the baby boomers, uh, which is around 58 to 76 years old. We continue down uh, Generation X, uh, that's about 42 to 57 years old. Generation Y, millennials, uh, they're between 26 and 41 years old. Generation Z, they're between 10 and 25 years old. And then we have, lastly, uh, the latest generation, uh, which is Generation A or Generation Alpha. They're between 0 and 9 years old. And you may know all these types of things, I'm not sure. But I want to tell you, this doesn't just apply to uh, who we meet outside of the church. This is, applies to this congregation. This applies to the church as a whole. All generations matter. These are the generations that we're talking about. And I did some, uh, we'll just say some quick math. Um, and I, I tried to see, okay, what generations are represented in just this congregation? And I think you'll see that all generations are a part of the congregation today. Now, um, I can't necessarily say that it's going to continue like this in 10 to 15 years from now. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but look at this. Look at this. This is our congregation. This is the church. We see here uh, the leading one is Generation X. They're between 42 and 57 years old. That's around um, a, a lot of, I believe a lot of our deacons are around that age. 42 to 57 years old. We think about the next generation. Generation Z, they're between 10 to 25 years old. They're next in line, 26%. We think of the baby boomers. They're between 58 and 76 years old. Millennials, 
Uh, 12%, 26 to 41, generation A, 0 to 9 years old, and a silent generation, 5%. Now, there might be some things that stick out to you in this, and I'm not here to talk about uh, the stats here this morning. That's not my goal. That's not my intent. But I do intend on showing you how diverse and how we have generations here this morning and we have generations in this congregation and how they all matter. One thing I want to point out, um, I, most of you probably know, I'm a millennial. <laughs> I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I'm a millennial. You know, millennials are no longer teenagers. They're not the teenagers anymore. We have a new generation that's teenagers, and that's the one that's, uh, we'll just say, second in, whoop, bear with me. There we go. They're the ones that are second in line. That generation matters, but we look across all of these individuals, all these generations, every single person matters. Every single person is represented in this. And so when we think about the church's diversity, we need to understand that that's important and that ultimately matters to God and it should matter to us. And as we think about this a little bit more um, specifically, we understand that scripture teaches us that there are generational roles, that all of us here are to be doing something uh, and have an impact. As we just read, we are the family of God. We have brothers and sisters uh, in the church. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 29, the King James puts it like this. Read with me. It says, the glory of young men is their strength and the beauty of old men is the gray head. When we talk about generational roles and their impact, this verse proves to us how impactful the generational roles are. We start by seeing the glory of young men is their strength. I want to ask this morning, what does strength do for the young people? Why does this matter? Why is this a part of the proverb? Why is this something that we need to know today? What does the strength do? Well, number one, I believe it provides the ability to do the work of the church. You see, the young people today... How, whatever uh, age that may be, they have the strength to do the work of the church. And that's why it's important when we talk about the glory of young men is their strength because that strength is needed to do the work of the church, to continue the church. And we also see that it allows the young to continue in the work for the church. Those that are younger, maybe even younger than me, guess what? Have more strength and, and will probably have more strength longer than I will. And that continues the work of the church. So as long as you are a part of that, as you have the strength, ultimately what we're talking about is that the young must use their strength by doing work for the Lord and His church. I think about, um, you know, I look around this congregation, I look around the church, and I see a great future in the church. I see a great future for the church because I see younger people uh, attending gospel meetings. I see younger people uh, being interested in sermons. I see younger people having studies with one another. Keep doing that. We need the young people today to use their strength. And if you think today that your role is not impactful as a young person, I beg to differ because we need to continue the work of the church and it's going to be de dependent upon those that do the work of the church and that strength is needed to do so. But we also see that the beauty of old men is the gray head. Now, yes, I used... The gray color, because it says gray head, so that color coordination was on purpose. But we think about the gray head, I believe uh, Solomon is not talking about the gray head in of itself, but what goes into that? And when we think about the, the older generation, maybe that's you this morning, 
We think about everything that you've gone through, all the wisdom that you've learned from God's word and all the different experiences that you've had that other people just cannot relate to. And we understand that that is impactful, that that is valuable today. In fact, what does the gray head do for the uh, do for the older godly wisdom and experience to do the work of the church? What did we talk about earlier? What's this all about? It's all about praising God with one another. Sharing God's works with one another, right? That's what David said in Psalm 145. We need godly wisdom and experience to do the work of the church. If you are here this morning and you have that, praise God and share that, number two. Share that wisdom and experience with those that have the strength for the work. So ultimately, what are we talking about here? The older must further the work of the church by utilizing their godly wisdom and experiences. It was about... Uh, five or six years ago where I had moved from here to go to West Texas. Uh, and basically my story is that I went there to, to get a girl. I got married and I came back better than I left. And I'm sticking to that. But while I was there, something that I never expected to happen was that there was a man that made a huge, huge impact on my life. Uh, most of you probably know this man, Jay Henderson. Jay Henderson has been a part of the church for a very long time. And as I uh, began to date Michaela, I would uh, go with Jay and we would have a lot of Bible discussions. He would uh, share all this knowledge and wisdom from God's word with me. And I was so blessed by that. But you think about Brother Jay and you think about those maybe that are older today in the church. And you think about all the things that they've done in the church and the 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 fruit of the labor that we enjoy today because of what they've done. And praise God for that. But I want to tell you that, you know what's most important to, uh, to Brother Jay today that I believe and that's important to the others is what? Is that they share that. They share that. Why do they need to share that? You see, it's great to do the work of the church. We need people to do the work of the church. But if we're not sharing that today, brothers and sisters, there's going to come a day where unfortunately life comes to an end. And that wisdom and that experience that you share will have an, a massive impact, a massive role for the church. Huge. So I want to tell you this morning that if you are here in the pew, you are a blessing to those that come around you. You are a blessing to God. And by you being here this morning, it is an encouragement to all of us. Never, ever underestimate your value and the impact you have in the church. Because that's something that will carry on for generations and generations to come until the Lord comes back for His, for His church. So keep it up. Let's keep doing that. Young people, use your strength. Older people, use the wisdom and the godly experience. I want to talk about the generational roles as we think about uh, what we learn from Scripture. There are generational roles that have an impact. We think about teaching for the older in Titus chapter 2, in verse number 2, the ESV puts it like this. He says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Now, I think if this begs the question, well, this is Paul writing to Titus. What does this have to do with the older men teaching? Well, maybe you're familiar with the term uh, teaching and, and leading by example. You see, when we have older individuals that are sober-minded, that are dignified, that are self-controlled, sound in faith and loving and steadfastness, 
Not only do you have the ability to teach, but you're going to have someone who wants to be taught. I've talked to you about Jay. One of the great things that I got to experience with Brother Jay and still get to experience is that whenever I get to talk to him, he has these types of qualities. He shows these types of characteristics where I feel comfortable going to him. I feel comfortable that I can go to him and learn from him so he can teach me. And so older people, this is a role that you have in the church talking about these different qualities. I want to skip to verse number six uh, through eight. Same chapter, ESV puts it like this. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Uh, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Now, if you look in this context, it appears that uh, Paul might be uh, telling Titus uh, to urge the younger men to do these types of things. But I believe ultimately uh, the big picture that we see here and that we'll see a little bit more is that people are teaching one another to continue the work of the church. That's the big picture because one day Titus is not going to be here anymore. Titus is not here anymore today, right? And so if you are an older individual, I want to tell you, you have the ability, you have the grace to be able to share God's word, to teach God's word, and to utilize that wisdom with others. And that's what we're talking about this morning is to teach, to teach. We see training is a part. I want to back up to verse number three, same chapter. It talks about the older women. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Whenever I think about um, older women, I think about great blessings in the church today. I think about older people that um, a lot of times are behind the scenes that a lot of times are maybe not what is shown, but have a huge impact. Uh, I think of Sister Gay Henderson. Many of you probably know Sister Gay. That's Jay's wife. I think about all the, uh, the time and the effort that she's put into meals at home. Uh, something I learned from Jay is, you know, a lot of times they would just have a study come up just right from the get-go. And he'd say, hey, we need, we need some food. You know what Sister Gay did? She made some food. And you may think, well, that's just making some food. That's really not a huge deal. Well, it is a big deal. But number two, when we look at older women teaching younger women, when they're in the kitchen, when they're doing these types of things, they're not just cooking. They're teaching. And they're learning. You know why that is? Well, whenever you're experiencing life, whenever you're teaching about life, conversations happen. And you teach about how, what it talks about here, uh, that women are to love their husbands and their children. They talk about their family and how much they love their family. And that gives an opportunity to do that. And I want to tell you here this morning that if you are an older woman, you have a huge impact in the church. You have a role to play. You're just as important as anyone else in the church today. You have such an impact. In fact, I would beg to say that we are here today because of a lot of the things that the older generation women have done for us today. And that many uh, younger women can say that that has been a huge impact in their life and has led them to where they are at today. I see that around us. And I hope that you see that too. That they are to teach and that they are to train the younger women. In Ephesians chapter 4, 
Uh, Paul writing to, to the church of Ephesus says this, verse number 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we talk about the impact a role has today, I want you to see in this context here what this is mentioned next to. It says that uh, he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and what? And teachers. You want to talk about how important your role is today? You share in a responsibility with people that have gone on before us. You share a responsibility with the apostles. And today you share responsibility with the shepherds. Who's the shepherds? That's the elders. And what are they to do? They are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. They are to train. I'll tell you that the younger generation is dependent upon your teaching and your training. It's huge. It's impactful. It means a lot. Never underestimate your value and your impact. We continue on in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed into and fro and the waves are carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head in Christ. Speaking the truth in love, that's how you make an impact so that you can grow up every way into Christ. That's a part of teaching and training. And ultimately, what is this for? It says, from the whole body, the whole church, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, which is the trained by you training them when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. Teaching and training. The, three, the third T I want to mention this morning briefly is trust. And this might be very difficult to do. But read with me in Jeremiah chapter 17. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. We talked about that tree earlier, didn't we? You know... Uh, there's a lot of terrible things in this world. This world's very dark. It's a world full of sin. And there's things today that I've heard from the older generation that never would have happened 50 or 60 years ago. And that's a terrible thing. When we think about darkness and we think about all these bad things. But I want to tell you something. As long as we are living and as long as we are breathing as the church, when the heat comes, we need to trust in God. When the heat comes, we need to trust in God. Because what happens when the heat comes? The heat has already come. It's going to continue to come. But what happens? It says its leaf will be green. And it will not be anxious in the year of drought. Nor will cease from yielding fruit. That tree is going to bring forth fruit. Ultimately, why? Because they trust in God. Because although this world is a terrible world. Full of uh, darkness and sin. God is greater. God's word can be preached. God's will will be done. And so when we're talking about trusting in God, that's what I'm talking about this morning. I understand that the world is terrible and I understand that the future may not look bright, but I want to tell you, just as you trusted in God for the past 50 years, the younger generation needs to see that trust in God. We need to see that trust in God. 
We need to all trust in God where ultimately our hope is in God, is God. Our confidence is in the Lord because the heat's going to come whether we like it or not. We're going to experience things that maybe we never even thought of in 50 years from now if we're still living and breathing. But ultimately, God is the same God and the church is still the church. And ultimately, God's in control. And so trusting God, the heat's going to come, but I want to tell you, if we can see that trust, it's going to make it so much easier. And ultimately, putting our trust in God, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, the passage most of us are familiar with, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. As you think about the last uh, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of your life, you think about all the things that you've gone through that I cannot understand, that other people cannot understand. Ultimately, you know that it was because of God that you are here today. It is because you put trust in God and you did not lean upon your own understanding to go throughout this life, but you put trust in God and that's what we need to do today. You need to trust in God and you need to trust that God's will will be done in the church. And we're the younger generation. I say we, I'm a part of that. We need to see that. We need to see that ultimately God is in control and that we see that other people have confidence in God. Because that time's going to come. The heat's going to come. We think about the younger generation. I want to tell you your roles in pastoral Proverbs 1 verse 5. Solomon puts this. It says, a wise man will hear and increase learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Um, I would say that one of the, the maybe the biggest temptations for a younger person that I can understand as I was younger and as I get older is to what? It's to just to just shrug off wisdom, to just shrug off what the old people are saying. Oh, you know, they don't know anything. They don't understand what I'm going through. This is a new age, right? Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've seen that. I want to tell you, younger people, that you have a role and impact and that's why you need to listen. That's why you need to learn. We talked about how the, uh, the glory and the beauty of the, the young and the old is what? It's for the young, it's the strength, but we need the older people to share that wisdom with us. How are they going to share that wisdom if no one's going to want to listen to that wisdom? We need to stand up today and to listen. We need to not just be here uh, in the assembly, but take time to go to uh, an older individual's house, to go talk to them about life, to learn to listen and to learn. Whenever you are learning, you are listening. You're listening. And that's what the younger generation needs to do today. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Yes, the younger generation uh, will be leading the church in the future years to come. But I'm going to tell you that if there's no counsel involved within that, there's going to be a massive fall. Because where there is no counsel at all, where we're seeking out our own wisdom there's going to be a fall. And in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Young people, if you want to have security, if you want to know that the church is going to do well in 100 years, you need to listen and to learn from older people. You need to heed to their wisdom and their counsel because they understand. They've been through what you've been through. Maybe they can't completely relate in every single aspect of your life, but they've been through a lot of the exact same things. And you need to learn and to listen. Not only when we're preaching here this morning or when someone's given a lesson from the pulpit, but every day of your life, you need to learn and to listen. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul writes to Timothy here, says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love 
in spirit, in faith, in purity. It's good to listen. It's good to learn. But it doesn't do any good until you're willing to do something about that. We talked about earlier about leading by example. Paul uh, encourages Timothy here. He says, let no one despise your youth. What that means is by your life, by the way you conduct yourself, don't let anyone see that you're just acting as a, a young, immature Christian. Okay? Don't let someone just see that you, you've got a lot, uh, you, you need to work on a lot of different things. But be an example. You can lead by example today. And why is that important? Because you're going to have to lead in the future years to come for the church to thrive. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is what Paul writes to Timothy once again. It says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Notice what Paul says here in verse number one. He thanks God. He says, I thank God who am I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. You see, Paul recognized that before he was even around, his forefathers were around. And now it's up to Paul to lead. It's up to Paul to lead others in the church. To lead. And I'm not just talking about maybe from an, uh, an elder or deacon role. That is very much important and we need that as well today. But I'm talking about just leading overall. Leading leading. Everyone can lead someone else. And you, younger people, you think that you don't lead today? Near the beginning of my life, I had three sisters. I still have three sisters. And you think that you don't lead today? Anyone really that you're older than, you're leading. And in the future, you're going to lead even more people. You're going to need to lead more people. How are we leading them? You see, this generation... This transfer of leadership throughout generations is important. We talked about a second ago how Paul recognized that before him was his forefathers. And now Paul is who? Is teaching Timothy who is to teach the church. He recognized that there's this leadership. We talked a second ago about uh, the family, the generations. We see the grandmother Lois, the mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in, is in you also. So we understand that the transfer of leadership happens throughout the generations in Young people, I want to encourage you and to tell you there's going to come a day, and really that is today, but more opportunities in the future where you're going to have to step up and lead. We have to have the church continue to thrive. And that's up to you. And that's up to me as we go throughout this life, as we get older. We need to lead. So the big picture ultimately is this. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. And these things that you have heard from uh, be among many witnesses, because admit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You have a huge impact today in the church, I want to tell you. But you know what's going to be even more practical, whether you're young or whether you're old? Is if you're teaching others to teach others. Teaching others to teach others. That's how the church grows. That's how the church thrives. And so this morning, the main takeaway from this point is that you are valuable. You're here this morning and you are valuable and you have a huge impact in the church. Now that's all great. And I'm, I'm sure most of us probably understand that. But what does that do 
if we're not willing to do that together. All generations working together. This is a picture here of an older individual and a younger individual. Now, I'm not sure if y'all know uh, these terms here. Uh, 386, 8-track, floppy disk, you know, these types of things. I'm sure some of you probably know what I'm talking about there. The younger generation, uh, this is kind of what they associate with. We think about MP3, if that's still a, a major thing today. Social media, cell phone, flat screen tablet. You think about basically two opposite ends of the spectrum individuals having different things that they relate with, that they understand, that they uh, formulate their decisions based upon, that they take a part in. And so when we see these types of things, we see that there is a generation gap. There's a generation gap. And we look at this generation gap and, and we look at that and maybe sometimes we think, well, that's just kind of the way it is. That's just kind of how it's supposed to be. And some, sometimes that's inevitable. Because there's things that I can relate to with younger people that I might feel more comfortable with. Maybe you're an older person and you relate to the older people and you feel more comfortable with. And I understand that. That's a part. But is that how it's supposed to be? Where we just kind of leave that alone and we just kind of accept that as it is? I think the Bible teaches us otherwise. We think about this generation gap. I want to ask the question, why is there a generation gap? We think about the outlook, as I mentioned. We think about the viewpoint. Well, that's just kind of how it's supposed to be. That's kind of how it's always been. You have the older generation, you have the younger generation, and there's just nothing you can do about that. Maybe it's because there's a lack of concern or interest by both parties. Maybe it's, you know, it's like, well, I'm just really not willing to work that out. I'm just going to kind of do what I want to do, and everyone else is going to do what they want to do. Maybe that's the reason for that. It's unavoidable. Maybe that's uh, the reason. And I think that there's some truth to all these, maybe in certain aspects and areas, but I think the number one reason is this. And I believe that it is generational preferences and personalities. There's things that I, uh, I can relate with and there's things I can't relate with. There's preferences I have that maybe you don't have. And that's really what kind of separates the generations. It has, has this huge gap. And we think about maybe this from a more specific standpoint. Maybe you walk into the church building. And you see, well, all those young people are just kind of off in the corner talking to themselves. Maybe you're a young person and you see, well, all those older people are talking to themselves. You just have kind of different cliques, different groups, different things going on. And, and that's okay to a certain extent because we need to learn from each other in our own generations. That's important. But is it really supposed to be like that? Is it really supposed to be where there's this huge gap in the church? I don't believe so. I believe the Bible teaches us otherwise. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the ESV puts it like this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you want to be encouraged, if there's any comfort from love, any participate, uh, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of what? Of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only for his, uh, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You want to talk about a generation gap? That's what we're talking about. It's because the younger people have these types of things and the older people have these types of things. But what does the Bible say? We should be willing to give up our preferences for unity. We should be willing to give up what 
uh, we prefer for unity to be unified together in the body of Christ. You know why? Because all generations matter. All generations matter to God and all generations matter to us. And it should. All of them. And so when we think about generational preferences, these are just a few things that um, I think of. Think about old or new songs. You think about technology, hobbies, forms of communication, topics of discussion, etc. Um, think about old or new songs. You know, maybe you are a younger person and uh, you hear the song called out and, and here, here comes a song uh, farther along. And maybe you're thinking in your head, well, farther along, maybe I'll understand why we still sing old songs. <laughs> right? Maybe one day I'll understand why we still do this. Maybe um, you're an older person and, and you open up the, the songbook to the next song and you see 20 endings on a song. You think, what in the world is this? <laughs> and that's true. Both of those ex uh, extremes are true. But I want to tell you something. Both old songs and new songs matter to God. All of them. When we open up the songbook, it's not about what year it was written. <laughs> it's about praising God and worshiping God for He is worthy to be praised. And there's different times where maybe we have different preferences, but what should we do? We should be willing to set those aside. Uh, Brother Jay and I, whenever we were together, Jay loves to fish. He loves to fish. You probably know that. He, he's gone fishing for quite some time. Um, now, I wouldn't say that I don't enjoy fishing. Um, I'm just not as big of a fan of fishing, you know. But I was willing to do that so I could spend time with Jay. But Jay was willing to relate to the things that I understand today so we can work together. So we can understand each other. And those, I want to tell you, those conversations that you have on the front porch together about life is what we're talking about here, is when we talk about God's word together, when we talk about life and serving God, that's what we're talking about here. Giving up our own preferences. Maybe you might have to give up fishing sometime uh, to talk to someone else. Maybe you have to give up uh, maybe sports a little bit. I, I really enjoy the Astros, but someone may not enjoy the Astros at all. And that's okay. You know why? Because we're all different. We have different activities, different ministries, um, from the church standpoint, but just different personalities and preferences. But we need to be willing to put those aside, to work together. Because this generation gap is that very thing. It's a generation gap. And that's the reason why. I came across a video that I thought was very interesting, and I, and I wanted to share this. Uh, there was these two individuals that they put in a room together, uh, and they were 57 years apart. You have a seven-year-old uh, boy and a 64-year-old man. And they put them in a room together to talk about life, to basically interview each other. And the answers you'll see were very interesting. Uh, so they sit down together, and uh, the man asked the young boy a question. He says, what is the worst thing about being young? What's the worst thing about being young? Well, the boy says, well, uh, you get lots of homework. It's all pretty like it's in the middle, like it's all in the middle of bad and good. That's what his response was. Now, this is a seven-year-old boy, right, who still um, has a lot of life to live. But that's what he was thinking of. It, it, that's what he could relate with was homework in, in school. 
Well, the young boy asked the uh, older man, he says, what is the worst thing about being old? What does the man say? He says, not being able to do the things that you could do when you were young. Hmm. Not being able to do the things that you could do when you were young. The interview continues. Uh, the older man asked the boy, do you wish you were older? He says, maybe. Like, so if I were old, I could buy stuff for my own and be married, but that would be you. <laughs> That'd be gross. He's still in that stage where, you know, this, this boy and girl thing is just a little weird to him. But he asked this question and you see the innocence and you see um, this young boy's response. And then the younger boy asks the older man this. Do you wish you were young? Why? And the man says, well, uh, the, problem is, the problem about uh, the great thing about being young is you have more time. You have more time to do things. I could play games, which I did. I used to play cowboys and Indians. And uh, the conversation continues, and the, and the little boy says, hey, I know that game. I play cowboys and Indians. And they began to talk about that different uh, that game. And, and really, um, the man continues and says, that's what I like about being young. I could use my imagination more. And they continue the interview by asking each other questions and then giving advice at the end. But at the end of this interview, you know what was interesting? At the end, the boy reaches out to give the man a handshake. And as he's giving the man a handshake, the boy basically goes in to, hold, uh, to hug the older man. Really bridging the generation gap between them. Literally. But also figuratively. We think about that and we think, well, that's, that's great and all, but how can we bridge the gap? You know, that's just one example. And, and it's not like, well, it, it was everything's great. And, and you go on your way. The seven year old boy leaves and the older man leaves. It takes effort. And I want to ask this question that's very important. How can we bridge the gap today? And then ultimately, the answer is this. It's by building intergenerational relationships. Uh, Brother J. Lloyd gave an excellent sermon on this. Uh, at the Brotherhood meeting this past year, and I highly recommend that sermon. I highly commend that sermon. If you have the time to go listen to that, I really encourage you to do so. But ultimately, that's what we have to do, is we have to build the intergenerational relationships. And you'd say, well, that's great and all, but how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to build these relationships? I believe that we can have assistance from the middle generations. We talked earlier about the different generations that we have. You know what's interesting about this? It's the leading generation is what? It's Generation X. It's the one that is maybe not as old, older uh, as some of the other people are, and they're maybe not as young, but guess what? They might be able to understand some of the older things, and they might be able to understand some of the younger things. We need your assistance. We need the help to bridge the gap. You have a role to play. I know we've talked about older and younger, but all these things that we're talking about really apply to all of us. And imply to you. And if you are in that generation, I want to tell you, you are valuable and we need your help to bridge that gap. We need to realize also that we need each other. We need each other. That's important. Proverbs 20 verse 29, we read this earlier. The glory of young men is their strength and the beauty of old men is the gray head. The younger people need the wisdom and the experience that we cannot have because we're younger. We need that. And the older people need the younger generation to step up and to do the work. Because there's going to come a day 
where that changes. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and verses 4 through 5, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, for as we have been members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. A living sacrifice, giving up what may be sin in and of itself, which ultimately is number one, but we need to give up the different things that we can come together to be unified because ultimately what is it about? It's about the body of Christ. We do not all have the same function. There's things that the older generation can do that I just don't, I can't do, that I don't understand and vice versa. We need each other. We think about the present time that we are in today and we think about the future. The older generation is a part of the past. Is a part of the reason that we're here today. But I want to tell you something that you should know, that you already do know. The older generation is not going to be here in the future. When you come in five years from now, ten years from now, you're going to see some of these pews that are going to be empty. And that's a sad thing. Think about all the, the things that the older generation has brought to us today. We need them. We need them because there's five years, ten years from now where Brother Jay may not be here anymore. Where you may not be here anymore. And so we need you. Older generation, I need you. We need you here. We need your wisdom. We need your experience to help us in the future. Because there's going to come a day where you're not going to be here any longer. But your impact and your value will for generations to come. We talk about we need each other. Think about the younger generation. If you think about the younger generation in the future, in and of themselves, it's not going to be successful. Yes, they're the future of the church, but without any counsel, there's going to be a fall. We need what? What have we been talking about? We need each other. We need the whole entire congregation. We need the whole church, all the generations together to be successful in the future, to come together, to be unified in the body of Christ, to glorify God. We need each other. Uh, the next point is to being real with one another. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 15 through 16, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Now, when I'm talking about being real, I, I realize that might be a slang term for today. But what I'm talking about is being able to open up with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, sometimes when we go to, when we walk through the church building doors, Lane, if you don't mind me using you for a second, I say, hey, how's it going, Brother Landy? Doing good? Good to see you. I go on my way. And I'll go talk to someone else. I say, hey, how are you doing today? Doing good. Good to see you. And I'll go on to someone else. Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. And that might be great and all, but I think we're missing the point. How are we supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice if we're not going to talk about what we're rejoicing about? How are we supposed to weep with one another if we're not going to talk about the different struggles that we have in our life? I think if we look at this more specifically, you look at one end of the spectrum and you might see someone that just kind of comes in the door and, and it's just negative all the time. 
Doesn't have anything positive to say. Just as, as, as negative Nancy right when they walk in the door. And then you think about the other end of the spectrum. And maybe there's someone who's being fake. And I would say that's probably something that I struggle with. Maybe I really don't want to talk about my problems with you. Maybe I don't want to talk about my, uh, my, the good things with you. We need to talk to, about these things. Because right in the middle, we need to be open with each other. We need to be real. And sometimes the hard thing about this, I want to tell you something. The, the hard thing about this sometimes is that we're going to have to, to, to click restart. Because um, it's difficult to talk to some individuals. And I might think, well, everyone's supposed to know where I work and what I do at my job and how my job is going. But maybe not everyone knows about that because I'm not really not willing to talk about it. And so if you have to do this, click the reset button. Talk to someone. Say, hey, how are you doing? How was work today? And they might say, good. Oh, good. What'd you do? Just the normal. What'd you do when you get home? Oh, I ate dinner and went to bed. You know, it might be difficult to do, but be open and be real with each other. Find out what their strengths are. Give up your own strengths and be real so we can openly rejoice and weep with those that weep. And lastly is to take action now. James 4, 13 through 14, it says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life, it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The general um, thing about life is that it, it's going to come to an end generally when you're older. Sometimes that may not happen. Sometimes you might die when you're younger. But we're all going to die. All of us. Each second that we breathe is a, is, a, is a tick-tock closer to death. Right now while you're breathing, we need to take a part in the body of Christ. We need to help each other. We need to work together because tomorrow may not come. You might be dead tomorrow. I might be dead tomorrow. So right now, we need to bridge the gap and work together to glorify God and to be a part of His kingdom. In 1 Corinthians, it, it illustrates this picture, what we're talking about. It says in verse number 20, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head and the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our, presentable, our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that miracles, then gifts of healing, health, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts? And yet I show you a more excellent way. You know, a lot of people want the, the, the front and center job. They want to, to, to have the big role. But you know what Paul is saying here? He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. You know why he's going to show us a more excellent way? Because God desires everyone. God values all. 
especially the part that lacks. And I want to tell you this morning that if you've been lacking in, in terms of um, people helping and, and seeing what you've done, God appreciates every single thing that you do, whether that's from a public standpoint or a private standpoint. But we're not here to just try to shoot for the big, the big roles, the, the, big, uh, the big things that we think about. Because Paul shows us a more excellent way. And you know what the next chapter is? You probably know what the next chapter is, don't you? It goes right in line with what we're talking about. Now, as I mentioned, a lot of the things that Paul's talking about is about spiritual gifts. Because they wanted to compete against each other with the spiritual gifts, but all of them matter. But you know what he talks about in chapter 13? He says, you can have your spiritual gifts, but if you don't have love, then that is nothing. It means nothing. And as we pertain it to what we're talking about, I want to pick up in verse number four. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, but does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Just like those spiritual gifts have vanished away, so our lives one day will vanish away. And what's left is the church and the future of the church. Do you care about the church here this morning? Do you care about being a part of the body of Christ and the family of God? I hope you do. I hope we all do. I'm sure you do. If we do, let's love. Because love never fails. The different roles, the different things that we talked about this morning are important, but the most important thing is to love one another as God has first loved us. And that, brothers and sisters, is how we work together. I want to leave with this passage that we uh, began with in Psalm 145. It says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. Let us take heed from David this morning and talk about God and praise God together that whenever you look across this building and when you look across the body of Christ as well, that you see your brothers and sisters in Christ that matter to God and that matter to all of us because that is the body and the family of Christ. And all generations should praise God for He is greatly to be praised. It is His body. It is His church. And we are a great we are greatly blessed to be a part of his family this morning. And I hope and pray that you've learned about your role in the multi-generational church. Maybe, uh, maybe you've heard these things this morning and, and you've been convicted in some way. Maybe you want to uh, go before God in prayer. I'll tell you that it would be a privilege and an honor and a blessing to pray for you. Maybe you've uh, not fulfilled your role to the best of your ability. I think we can all say that here this morning. I could tell you I've got a lot left to do, and I'm sure we all do, but maybe you need help in that. We're not here to cast stones or to judge you. We are here to help you. And if you want to come before the congregation this morning, we will lift you up in prayer and allow God, because it's His church, it's His body, to help you in your role. Maybe there's something else that is weighing heavy on your heart that you want to lift up before uh, God in prayer, and we would like to help you with that. Maybe you're here this morning, though,
and you haven't become a child of God. We've talked about the blessings of the church and there's nothing greater than being added to the church of Christ, to, to God's family, because you have brothers and sisters here waiting to hug your neck and to love you. And that you know that you have a role and a purpose and that's to praise God in this life. And you could start this morning by becoming a child of God. If we can help you in any way, whether that be by prayer uh, or if you'd like to become a child of God, please come before, uh, please come have a seat on the front row as we stand and sing a song of invitation.